Good morning, everyone. So we've finally reached the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we've reached the end of another liturgical year. This Sunday is the Sunday when we specifically think about Christ being the King, as next week we move into Advent and the whole cycle of Sunday starts all over again. Endings are very important, aren't they? Without them, there cannot be new beginnings for a start. But I wonder how you end letters or emails that you send. With lots of good wishes, perhaps in an informal letter, maybe an emoji in a text message, or the more formal yours faithfully or sincerely in a business letter. In Paul's letter, that kind of statement perhaps comes in verse 20. But there are then these three last verses that are greetings something that we would perhaps more likely put at the beginning of a letter. So let's look a little more closely at what's happening here. Let's think for a minute about that word greeting. The dictionary says a greeting is something friendly or polite that you say or do when you meet or welcome someone. So what is Paul doing? I think that he's expressing his affection for those who love the Lord Jesus like he does. Verse 21 Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. This is a message of care and concern for all those in Philippi who count themselves part of the church. It reminds us of just how important this little church was to Paul. He had been its pastor for a while. He knew most of them and their stories. And as I said at the beginning of this series, at the beginning of September, the In Christ Jesus is reminding the believers that at one time they were not like this. They were not believers. They lived the raucous life of the Roman colony with its anti-God agenda. Now, however, they are people who follow Jesus, who are in communion with him, citizens of the kingdom of God. In Christ Jesus makes all the difference to who they are now. His greeting comes from his relationship with them, and it's much more than a say hello to everyone for me. The other thing about greeting someone is that you're making it clear that you're giving them attention your attention. Paul wants all the believers, all God's people, to know that each one of them is important to him. Some translations of the Bible say, greet every saint. They're not all lumped together as one large group, but they are individually known. Imagine for a moment, what must it have been like to be known by the Apostle Paul? Our position as those in Christ means that we are set apart from sin to live lives of holiness, enjoying communion and fellowship with Jesus every day. Paul gives us an amazing example of what that looks like in the everyday, being open-hearted, showing love and kindness, encouraging fellowship. Even those of us who are perhaps a little shy or introverted can allow the Holy Spirit to give us moments of courage to greet others. I don't know about you, but I always find it difficult to pick up the phone to talk to someone I haven't met before. When I was first ordained, making that first phone call to a bereaved family was absolutely terrifying to me. Still is, really. But the Holy Spirit helps me, I'm glad to say. I wonder if the early church was better at this than we are. Perhaps the persecution that they felt meant they had a vested interest in caring for one another in ways that perhaps we don't today it would certainly advance the gospel. Then Paul gives a second greeting. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Even though he was a prisoner in Rome, he was allowed to have visitors whilst under house arrest. We already know that Timothy was with him and that Epaphroditus was there. 
Philemon and Onesimus might have been there too at that time, as well as Luke the Gospel writer. In fact, there could have been at least eight men who were there at some point during this period. Check out Colossians 4 verses 7 to 14 for a list. There seems to be a real solidarity between them all. They all want to share in the greeting. One commentator I read suggested as Paul is signing this last little bit of the letter himself, he usually used a scribe for the rest of the writing. I wonder if that meant he had difficult to read handwriting. That he glances around the room and seeing the others nodding profusely as he detects what he's writing down. This group of important theologians in their own rights are also a group of loving, caring people who follow the Lord Jesus. And it's because of this care that they can extend their expression of love to this far-flung church that is so close to their hearts. Paul's third greeting in verse 22 extends even further to include those Christians who are in Rome. But who are they? Did they know Paul was writing this on their behalf? Well, actually, we don't really know that, but we can know who some of them were from Romans 16. When Paul wrote to the Roman church, he had never been there. It was about three or four years before he wrote this letter. But when you read it, it is as if he had been the leader of the church. It seems incredible to me how in touch with churches in Europe and Asia Minor Paul was. He knew their situations, their difficulties as groups, but also as individuals. This makes me wonder about us. How in touch are we with our brothers and sisters in our next-door parishes, the deanery, never mind those Christian communities overseas that we have connections with? Think for a minute. Should this change? Then amazingly, there is a fourth greeting, specifically from the people in Caesar's household. This seems at first thought a most unlikely group of people, surely. Even in the inner house of power, God's people are at work. Slaves, cooks, food tasters, guards, soldiers, builders, accountants, messengers and heralds, to name just a few. Just like any royal palace today, it took a whole army of people to make it run. Some of the guards that watched over Paul came to faith and took that faith back into the palace. No doubt this would have been a real encouragement to the Philippians. The gospel is powerful and can infiltrate the most unlikely of places. These new believers are witness to the amazing saving grace of the gospel. They might serve in Caesar's palace, be part of his enormous household, but they are part of a much greater household, the household of faith, just like we are. These four greetings that Paul writes reminds the Philippians and us that they are in this together with the rest of the body of Christ. Stephen J. Lawson said, You may travel far from your earthly family, but you are never far from your heavenly family. We are the family of God together. So we come to the very last sentence. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We really have come full circle now. Philippians 1-2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This incredible, joy-filled letter begins and ends with the wellspring and heartbeat of the Christian life, the undeserved favour of God in our lives. Paul wants, the, Paul wants the Philippians and us to know more of this amazing grace in life, in everyday Christian life, following our King, Jesus. Paul's emphasis here is that this grace will enable us to live in the manner that glorifies God and builds his kingdom. 
All through this letter, Paul has reminded his readers about their everyday relationship with their King, Jesus. And on this Christ the King Sunday, I want to do the same. For some of us, this Sunday will also be known as Stir Up Sunday, the Sunday when Christmas puddings are made and stirred. But I want us to be stirred up today. There are so many important letters in this there are so many important verses in this letter that can stir us into action so that we are living that kind of life that does glorify our King. Some talk about our behaviour, some about our faith, some about attitudes, some about our relationships, but all of them talk about Jesus and what it means to love and serve him. Take a moment to look at the notice sheet and the prayer for today. Can you, with me, ask God to stir up your will. Perhaps we need to remind ourselves of Philippians 3, the second half of verse 13 and 14, and remember here the high calling of God. This is what he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. In these difficult times, let's remember we have the grace of God in Christ. Will we follow where he leads and learn the lessons the Philippian letter has shown us from beginning to end? Stir up our wills, Lord. Amen.